Is your location secretive? Where are you right now? I'm in my house. So Do I mean, you it's live secretive. alone? <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> something that creepy guys ask me when I meet them. Hi, my name is so-and-so. Do you live alone? Do you have roommates? <laughs> Where do you live? Can I follow you home? Do you have bushes or a tall tree that I can watch you from? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a gutsy first line, like, to just lead with, do you live alone? I feel like even working your way up to it is insane, but, like... A lot of people have asked me that from the get-go, Hi, what's your name? Do you live alone? <laughs> like, do you not understand how weird that is for you to ask me? No. But anyways, do you live alone? Do you have a tall tree I can watch you from? <laughs> Hi, I'm Amber. Nice to meet, to meet you. you yeah. We're coming live from Clown Town, which, as I said, was the appropriate place to launch this podcast from tonight because our topic is clowns or the fool or the fool's journey. Sure. Yeah. Any of those. Yeah. Yeah. So with us is Amber Tortorelli, uh, our resident expert on all things fool. Artist, literary anthropologist, uh-huh. uh, musician, or someone who screams on a microphone, which I think <laughs> is the same thing. A goat could be a musician. Sure. I did a very interesting interview for MIT a while ago where I made a, a video for, for kids or people of all ages for how to learn the theremin or to hook up uh, hook up CV controls with the theremin. And one of the bonuses was listen to a playlist of these 18 different sounds and say, is it music? And one of the sounds was, it was a list of YouTube videos or clips. One of them was a screaming goat. <laughs> and I said, yeah, sure, it's music. I scream on a microphone all the time and I call it music, so why the fuck not? I'm going to sample the screaming goat and put it in a song now. <laughs> That's an interesting topic that we should cover eventually. What is music? Is yeah. it music? <laughs> is it music? Just a playlist of is it music. I think that's available on uh, my YouTube channel too, um, which I'm trying to get those 100 subscribers on so I can get that custom URL, whatever the fuck that does for me. Can I swear? Can I say fuck? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You okay. can say Yeah, Excellent. definitely. Fuck. Yeah. YouTube channel WTF Amber. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, WTF Now Amber. WTF Now Amber. Which is something that is uttered a lot by people in my life. What the fuck now? What the fuck Amber. now, Amber? <laughs> which you know very well from being... Uh, from saying it all the time. From saying it all the time. <laughs> and also from being an accomplice to a few escapades. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have been Amber's uh, partner in crime, helping her to commit mm-hmm. acts of April Fool's tomfoolery would you call it tomfoolery i would call it tomfoolery okay. yes joel yeah <laughs> um matt yes yeah. matt yeah. the single syllable white guy names sometimes yeah. i have a little bit of trouble with i'm sorry people I didn't always say to... mike i always get mike i get amanda a lot i get josh all the time yeah okay so my first name is amber rose which sounds like my parents were trailer trash hippie strippers sure that's a um, band name right there no relation let's start that uh my relation to the uh 
black bald woman that dated Kanye West, that beautiful model. There, there's no relation there, so okay. I didn't want there to be any confusion with that. Sidebar: There is a band called Trailer Trash Tracys, and mm. they're incredible. Right. I'll have to look into they that. They have this absolute jam called uh, Candy Girl. It's not that you are my candy girl. It's not that, and it's not a cover of it. Oh, okay. uh, that's the Archies. That's who sings that. The Archies. Yeah. Okay. That's sugar, sugar. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Sugar, sugar, do 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 do. We don't have the rights. <clears throat> I'm. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I probably sang it off key because my voice, as I said, is very blown out. So I think that we're safe. Yeah. But um. Anyways, Matt. Yeah. Do you have any plans for April Fool's Day this year? I don't know. Usually I do. This year it's felt uh, different, but I usually like to do something. I haven't seen enough people to uh, to know who to screw with, and this would be kind of like a real grand entrance, you know, back into people's lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you guys. So, so I don't know. But uh, I would like to work something in this year because I feel like it, it just feels wrong not doing anything. You need to. And I don't talk to enough people who actually celebrate April Fool's Day. So I find it very interesting that you, you partake in the tradition. It's beautiful. I love it. I enjoy it. it. I haven't done it as traditionally in recent years, but I just, I like fucking with people. Any opportunity yeah. that I can find to do it. And uh, it's sick that it's a holiday. Well, what would you say is was your best April Fool's Day prank? Oh, uh, I don't know. Um... I don't know which ones I would have actually pulled on April Fool's Day. I did all the classic mm. ones as a kid. Like I did, I went through the whole phase when I was like a, a young kid and tried all of the like the saran wrap on the toilet seat kinds of stuff. And uh, yeah. that, that worked. <laughs> uh, the, uh, I don't know if this is the proper nomenclature, uh, the Chinese poppers, the, the little oh, things yeah. that you throw. I like to put those under people's toilet seats. Yeah. So when they sit down, because you can see the plastic wrap, you know, only a fool is going to fall for that. But it takes a special kind of fool to plan that out and put the Chinese pop uh, poppers under someone's seat. It's not the proper nomenclature. Asian American, please. Huh? <laughs> I watched The Big Lebowski the other night. But um, I feel like the people in our lives could use a little bit of laughter right now. And we could definitely April Fool's them from a distance. Yeah. Um, I like to bomb people's lawns with things. <laughs> uh, so currently on my agenda, I've been saving up for a while, $3 a day, because that's the price of a plastic flamingo if you buy them in bulk. Okay. I'm going to buy 50 of them and put them in a friend's front lawn. Yeah. Just 50 plastic flamingos. They detest tacky lawn decorations, so I think it's especially funny to do that. And they will wake up in the morning and see 50 in their front lawn and be very disturbed by it. Yeah. But I, I have a very specific set of rules where I don't damage anybody's property and mm. I don't, like, hurt their feelings in a really negative way and I don't I don't harm their body or anything. I'll put glitter in all the pockets yeah. Of your coats, I'll break into your house and I'll put 300 pictures of Nicolas Cage in strategic places. <laughs> totally human, I will yeah. fill your front lawn with 300 forks just yeah. because, but I'm not, I'm not hurting anybody with my jokes. And I feel like, <laughs> well, I mean, maybe a little, but in, the, in a way where they can be mad in the moment where it's not harmful enough that it's still something they can laugh about later. And yeah. I think that's the important distinction to make with with making a joke on April Fool's Day. 
If I can jump in here, Amber's been one of my best friends for like five years now. And having known her for that long, I can say that if you are friends with her, everything you own at one point will become covered in glitter. Yes. <laughs> That's one thing. I am single-handedly responsible for poisoning the world's oceans with glitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get a sponsorship from biodegradable litters, glitter, so I hope somebody is listening right now and just sure gives me a bunch for free. It's a truly popular podcast. <laughs> and the other thing I would say is that uh, being friends with you means you are automatically on the list for a potential pranking. Mm-hmm. Um, I helped you prank people one year. Yes. And I had immunity for the following year. Exactly. That has long expired, and I live my life in constant fear. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's how I want my friends to feel about me, so they know that I care. <laughs> Well, that's even fun because then there's the long kind of like meta prank that happens in there where they don't know if you're screwing with them. So you're sort of screwing with them by not screwing with them. That's called gaslighting, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Joel and I, one April Fool's Day, waited about, what was it, half an hour, 45 minutes? So long. We staked out someone's house waiting for them to leave. (laughs) And then, as you said before, filled their front yard with, with forks. Yep. I put the poppers under their seats. I put cups filled with water all over their entire bathroom floor, which I did at one of the bars that I worked at one year, and that went really well. Um, I put Nicolas Cage everywhere. That was a theme one year, just pictures of Nicolas Cage. I put uh, vinegar in all their soaps. I hot sauced their ketchup, just little things like that. Throughout the house where they keep finding them. <laughs> this was just one house, so you understand why I need an assistant, because I usually hit a few of them. Um, well, doing them all in one big clump like that is great, too, because it sort of just starts to wig a person out after a while. Like when one thing is like, oh, okay, it's yeah. a joke, and then yep. the next thing, and then the next thing, and then they're just like lying awake, like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> you know, it's, that's great. What's next? But here's yeah. the thing. At the house where, like, I knew the person well, like, as well as you did, yeah. I felt completely comfortable just, like, throwing balloons everywhere and covering the bed with streamers and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. We went to another house that was, like, friends of yours that I knew in passing but wasn't really, like, close to. Mm-hmm. And I was... Like terrified to be okay. Technically, we were breaking and entering, so I, I had permission. Very, okay, uh, from the roommates uh, or the the <laughs> landowner, the lord of the land gave me permission to go and do the things. Okay, okay. Mm. So not okay. It felt like breaking and entering to me. I know because I'm me, and <laughs> but I don't know. It felt like I love a good prank. I think I just like witnessing it more and yeah. not being culpable. <clears throat> That's what most, that's the problem with most people is they like witnessing the prank, but they don't want to be responsible for it. I wouldn't they, call it a problem. They, they, <laughs> they want the laugh from the outside, but you have to think about the sacrifice of the person that, that is making everybody laugh and how they, they put themselves out there to do that. For that house that we hit, I had to give an apology cactus card. Um, I like that you use the terminology, the house that we hit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that in there. The That's that why it feels wrong. <laughs> The house that we hit, um, I accidentally disturbed with one of my pranks, which was some pinwheels and flowers and, and, and doll parts in the planters on their front stoop. Mm. The stoop is my domain. Mm. 
I scared the elderly mother on the first floor. She Bruh. thought a serial killer was out to get her. <laughs> and it was, it was a relatively innocent prank, but it really made me consider about uh, the rules that I had mm -hmm. about how I went through April Fool's Day and how I'm not hurting anybody, but like... What is hurting somebody? This person with dementia was obviously very disturbed by it. And I was yeah. I was very sorry. I didn't consider yeah. that. It was a house full of like artists and poets and things like that. So I was like, fuck them. They're fine. They know me. They know what's yeah. up. But I went to the local gas station that sold great cards. And there was a, a an apology cactus card, which I felt was very fitting. And I gave it to the Lord of the land. And I was like, I'm really sorry. My bad. Um, there's glitter in your shoes, by the way. All the shoes. <laughs> um, don't eat your ketchup and uh, let somebody else take the first couple of showers because it's going to be unpleasant. But um, that could go in a card for any holiday, really. You know, that's good to just slip in for like an Easter for like. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. Just get people "I'm sorry" cards on the holidays or preemptively. Yeah, I, I usually end up being sorry for something after the holiday, so it's like yep. you know, yeah, just beat it to the punch. Yeah. behind April Fool's Day, very interesting and very shrouded in mystery. In France, when it became like a very popular thing for people to do, and it existed way before that, one of the most popular things to do on April Fool's Day was tape a picture of a fish on people's backs. Why? That was the joke. Fucking French. There was a very nuanced reason for it that was only relevant for the time, but uh, it had something to do with the fishermen and kind of this really classist idea of them being uneducated and foolish or whatever. Uh, it was like saying that you're, uh, you're the dunce for the day. Okay. Taping mm. a fish on someone's back was like taping a target on their back. Mm. But that was a very popular thing people did on April Fool's Day. Huh. It like, sounds like one of those like planking or something or coning. Remember those fads that happened? Yeah. Sounds yeah. like one of those things, like you like do it on Instagram or whatever people do now. That's pretty much what it was before the days of technology. Huh. There were plenty of those fads around, but the concept of the fool or the clown comes from, you know, the spring and the rebirth of everything and kind of the very cyclical viewing of the way of life and how we celebrate that. We celebrate renewal every year and we celebrate the fact that we are sort of born again into this new year of the lunar calendar. Mm. For example, I'm Italian. In ancient Italian traditions, they use the fool a lot. They have the, the, the big festival, the Carnavale, Mm. which is like everyone plays the part of the fool. Everyone puts on these masks and they, they, they make a, a, a king of the festival and everybody's allowed to just kind of be free to do what they like and celebrate and party. It's like going into a basement and, and screaming when you feel bad and ringing in the new year. That's basically what I did yesterday, mm. <clears throat> which is why I can't talk today. <laughs> but um, these concepts go back thousands of years and the fool is also a representation of our ancestors, the people that came before us. In Italy, huh. the idea of the, the Harlequin clown, which a lot of people are familiar with, or the lesser known Heliquin, which mm. has its own story, oral tradition, very hard to find. 
they honored the dead by painting pictures of clowns on tomb walls and they held the image of the clown, the very typical diamond pattern Harlequin clown. They held the image of the clown in their household to honor the ancestors. And every year they kind of rejuvenated that and brought fresh life to that by having these big festivals with clowns and, you know, foolhardy behavior and such. Mm. So it's about spring and ringing in that new cyclical year. Is this where the Venetian theater masks came from? Absolutely. The Are you familiar, Matt, at all with the idea of the Harlequin or the Harlequinade theater that was popular back in the day? Uh, real vaguely, yeah, not, not intimately at all. So that was a form of theater that was m- mostly silent. It's, it's a lot like when you go to the circus and mm. you see all of these clowns from a, a distance. They don't talk. They just perform these very animate gestures and, and jokes with one another. They trip, they fall, they have sound effects and stuff. That was the essence of the Harlequinade theater. The clowns okay. didn't talk, but they made people laugh. Okay. These old traditions go back from original theater. One of the earliest known or recorded theatrical performances was that of the Helquin or the Heliquin, which was this entity which was later labeled as a demon for, you know, obvious reasons because people hated anything that wasn't Christian. Mm-hmm. So um, the Roman Catholics come in and... Yeah, they say, oh, it's Satan or whatever. So the clown is kind of associated with Satan, which has its own role in our deep-seated hatred of the clown. But that's, mm. that's a whole another no- conversation. So this legend of the Heliquin clown, thousands and thousands of years old, this demon would walk with it with its band, with its caravan, with its circus performers, if you will, and it would collect the souls of unjust men and women or, or people and drag them to hell. They would protect the roads at night and they would condemn people that deserved it. And there was some some deity or some entity that feared the power of the Heliquin in their band. So they tried to kill this Heliquin deity, but they couldn't and they ended up splitting it in two which was a red side and a blue side. Ah, so that is yeah. why I have a red side and a blue side, which you probably can't see, but I have the red and the blue hair. Okay. It's to honor the tradition of the ancestors and that role of the clown of or that, that gesture deity that sort of uh, drags these unjust souls to hell and, and such. But huh. they were it split this deity into the exact polar opposites. Which okay. it, it, it kind of had a negative effect on the deity because its its judgment was skewed after that. Mm. It couldn't really decide right from wrong because it didn't have that proper balance to it. Mm. So that was a struggle. That was the whole story, the struggle of the deity who had just been split in half to kind of find balance between that that good and evil, that yin and yang, that black and white, that red and blue, which are opposite colors on our on our spectrum. Mm. There are a lot of elements to this. Yes. We've got morality, good and evil, the coming of spring, levity, entertainment, theatrical performance, and the origin of it. This is a very multifaceted topic. Yeah, that's yes. cool. I had no idea that it, it went that deep, to be honest. I thought it was more of like kind of just a folk tradition kind of thing. It's something I know so little about in that kind of historical sense that it's it's cool to learn where it actually came from as opposed to just kind of what we do now. It strikes me as similar to Halloween a little bit. It's yeah. like it's got this kind of very, yeah. it's very detached from its original purpose at this point. So it's kind of neat when you can dig back through and see 
like where it came from and what it was founded on and that it actually had like a pretty serious, serious side back in the day. Absolutely. Um, Similar to Halloween, was there a moment in history when when the concept of the fool was like appropriated by the church in any way? Because I don't see any ties to it, but... Not appropriated, condemned. Condemned by. Yeah. Okay. Because huh. it was a very deep part of spiritual beliefs that the church condemned. If you read the Old Testament and you see examples of them celebrating the moon or condemning the moon, for example, the Old Testament states that if you kiss your hand to the moon, you are a sinner. Wow. That comes from pagan practices within Judaism. They they had a hard time convincing Jewish people not to worship the moon, which a lot of Jewish mystics still do. Mm. Um, they condemned it because they wanted to control the general population and say, hey, you come to our holy temples and worship our gods on these days, and how dare you worship the moon because that was a more independent freeing worship that was based on the fact that you don't oppress others with your spiritual beliefs. So they wanted to control everyone and they were like, don't kiss your hand to the moon. And then you flip through a few pages and this bitch is baking moon cakes on the new moon. And like they're, they're basically doing a ritual honoring that it's like the people that, that edited it didn't know what worship they should condemn and, they, they they couldn't see the nuance in that. Mm. So they, they, they fucked up in their edits a lot. I mean, we're seeing a lot of that now, like seeing a lot of kind of offshoots of Judaism, Christianity, that whole world, mm-hmm. where people are still trying to figure out like what should be canon and what shouldn't and like what is canon currently that is immoral and should it be gotten rid of. And like there's this movement right now where people are like, very into the idea of deconstruction. You know, if they mm-hmm. were raised Christian, they're going to deconstruct their religion, deconstruct their faith, deconstruct what their community taught them, what benefits it has for them overall, and, you know, how it has also harmed them and in a lot of cases traumatized them. Which is important, mm-hmm. but people go into that blindly with rage and they're not a lot, they're not able to balance those things. Yeah. And I think, Anyways. like, even outside of the religious context, it's going to be beneficial for most people to. Maybe deconstruct is the wrong word, but at least assess and evaluate, okay, how did the way that I was raised affect me psychologically? Yeah. And how did it affect my sense of belonging and so on and so forth? And I have this very bad habit. I'm going to admit that it's a very bad habit, but it's it's a terrible habit of watching like fundamentalist Christian YouTubers just so that I can disagree with them. And <laughs> <laughs> But everyone is kind of like, it's like the fundamentalist practice right now to condemn the act of deconstruction yeah, as unfaithful, as, you know, a sin against the yeah. church, as a sin against the community. It's fucked up. It is fucked up because like, first of all, when you look at where Christianity comes from, it was a deconstruction of what Judaism had become in the first century. Mm-hmm. And if you look at... Every moment in history that the church has kind of changed its fundamental views, like even to call someone a fundamentalist now is specific to like this century's version of fundamentalism. The point that I'm making is that at which point in history does the evolution of a religion stop? That was a very poor wording of that. But like at which point in history do you see 
the product of the evolution of Christianity as that's enough, that's where we stop, that's going to be my fundamental values. Whereas if you talk to a fundamentalist Christian and say like, hey, in Salem, were they right to hang 19 people and crush another? You can look at almost any point in history where things changed and things were deconstructed and things were reformed within the church. And people would usually say, modern-day fundamentalist Christians would, would typically say, yeah, that was the right move to make, and now we're where we need to be. But if you disregard the fact that this has nothing to do with our topic, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, it has everything <laughs> to do with our okay, topic. Okay. Yeah. But if you disregard the fact that your present place in history will probably not be seen as the end-all be-all, like this was the terminus of this philosophy or this religious practice, and it was fine from this point on, it will not be changed. That is, pun intended, a foolish way to think. Okay, so how does this have to do with our topic? It has to do with our topic because we are, by being afraid of the the clown or holding it as a, like our type for somebody who is bad, somebody who is foolish, that that is seen as a negative. Wherein, um, with a Older spiritualities that is seen as a beginning and an end. It's something that is all-encompassing, and it is recognizing that foolishness within ourselves in a very deep way. But people didn't like that. You know, organized religions that were trying to control people didn't like that. So they condemned that aspect of the fool, somebody who's always wondering and knowing and questioning because there are these people that are coming in and say. They say, no, this is wrong. We have the answers, and this is the be-all, end-all. Until, you know, maybe 200 years from now when we change our minds or we become more open-minded or woke or whatever. But the the clown and the fool is very much tied to, or the, the negative idea of that is very much tied to a forced religion and Christianity. Like mm. I said, kissing your hand to the moon. A lot of people did that. They used moon worship as a way to, you know, plant their gardens and until the new year. And, you know, they, they charted stars because they, they needed to keep a calendar. The reflection of oneself as the fool is admitting that one is constantly having to question and one is constantly having to seek an understanding or an admittance to, I, I don't actually know and I'm just trying but the church mm. didn't want you to do that. The church wanted to be like, no, this is what it is, and you listen to us, and you never question it. We are sheep. We're all mm. sheep. We just follow the flock, and we follow what our shepherd has to say, and we don't question that. And that is the whole birthing of a subservient race. Well, plus I think in just the general act of fucking around and pulling pranks and there's like a real humanizing aspect of that. Like it really, it brings crowds together. It brings friendships a little bit closer together. Like that's the thing I really kind of like about it that like I could see scaring the hell out of an established institution like a church or a government or something where the people all of a sudden kind of like come back down to earth for a second and remember that they're all in the same trenches trying to do the same things. Cause it's, that's a really a weird effect I find when you pull a prank on somebody that you know or somebody that you, you really like or you really respect, mm -hmm. and you find it's not only just that you're screwing with them and they're okay with it, but it's like you find that specific way to screw with them that you know is going to like really get them. It's bonding. And you sort of, yeah, but you reveal that you know them that well. Like, you know, yeah. like you reveal that like you and that person have been friends in such a way that you can get to each other on those levels. And as long as it's not malicious or something, like that's almost like kind of like a, a loving thing and not 
not a harmful thing. And so, yeah, if you have a population doing that on a nationalized holiday and so, or even just a colloquial holiday or something, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that would probably scare the shit out of anybody who's trying to keep them all going their direction. Yeah. It gets everyone to laugh and to shake off that oppression or, or feelings of emptiness or, you know, whatever we're going through. It, it gets people shaking it off and it, it makes people feel better. Everybody needs to laugh. That's why everybody loves the idea of the fool deep down, really. Can I just say how much I miss performance? <laughs> yeah. um, I was a person who performed at least a couple nights out of the week on a slow week. Mm. You know, we were we were playing out with Sapling a lot. I was doing poetry and I was guest appearing at all these different arts and poetry and all these kinds of things. So I was out at least two nights a week performing, four or five nights a week, just like networking and seeing people. I miss performing so much. I walk around and I feel like this like hollow, empty, purposeless husk of a human being because every day it's the same thing. It's monotony. And I I miss that sense of community. And I think I need that on – it's not a level of ego or anything as much as it is like a spiritual connection with other people, a sense of relating to others, and a sense of just like getting out there and – yelling my fucking troubles away it's like when you're yeah. when your house is haunted you run through your house and you like ring bells and you'd be like oh, rah, get the fuck out of here <laughs> like you yeah. do the same thing with your own doldrums and your mental illness you have to run around the house and you have to like scream and go out and yell hootie hoo and shit <laughs> it's the same concept and we've been deprived of that for more than a year so a lot of us are cooped up and going crazy and we feel really disconnected from the world and really withdrawn in our, within ourselves, sometimes in a negative way. A lot of people mm. take it to a good place. I know I haven't, sitting with myself for a year. <laughs> I haven't been like, it's great that I have this time to reflect, as opposed to a lot of people. I, I didn't need this. I needed the distractions and I needed things yeah. to like kind of keep me. I know what I am. And yeah. I know what I need for myself, and that's to like be out there doing things and you know pulling people out of the fucking mud and and yelling and it's been really fucking depressing. I miss performance a lot i I took it for granted, and yeah. I never will again yeah. no yeah. I've harped way too much already on this show about uh <laughs> how it had has been beneficial to me to to reflect, however, I will say that like. I've benefited a lot from reflecting on who I want to perform for mm-hmm. and how often I want to perform and like in what environments. And I miss it so much. And we were talking before we went on mic about how like Zoom uh, or not Zoom, but like live streams don't feel like art because no. they don't feel like the shared experience. Like it's someone you can see that people are reacting, but you can't quite like tell how it's impacting them it's not the same in real time and mm-hmm. so like as far as shared experience goes it just isn't one and for me anyway and i think for all of us like that's the whole point of it or at least like a bulk of the point of it i'm not about it 
Sapling has done a couple of things, and I've put together a couple of things here and there. I have, like, a, a Patreon and shit, so I make stuff every month for people that view the Patreon, whether they take art lessons or whatever. But I make weird little videos, and I like that, but it feels kind of empty because I'm not engaging with anyone directly. Yeah. And I, I really miss that. Like, I want to get together in a park and have my friend, like, DJ and be like, today we're going to, you know, paint some abstract expressionism and there's no script for this. You just do whatever the fuck you want and I'm going to help. Like, it's not... Mm. Well, let I me ask you this, I hate though. how rigid everything is. Let me ask you this. Mm. Remember last summer when you did that video in your yard and your um, niece, cousin? Uh, Layla? Yeah. Uh, niece. Niece, okay. Yeah. Uh, like, she was joining you and, like, kind of helping you out. She grabbed a canvas and everything and, like... Do you remember this video? She helped me with a few videos over the summer, so yeah. I'm kind of trying to like decipher which one is which. It doesn't matter which one is which. My question is like, if it was a video where you are engaging with other people, mm -hmm. and then shared that, like, would that feel better to you? It does. I did one with Rainy where we did the Rainbow McFeely test, where I held up a bunch of colors and I asked their initial response to it, like a very. Uh, it's like a word associative kind of game mixed with the Rorschach inkblot tests. Okay. okay. Um, I did that and I, I made a video out of it with them. And I really liked that because I liked involving other people. I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah. It makes it feel a little bit more communal for me. Yeah. Agreed. I feel like I've been getting into like some YouTubers who do like makerspace videos and stuff like that mm -hmm. recently. And it does feel a bit lonely. But some of them have camera operators, so I guess if you, if you can hire a company, then that's a good place to be. That's me balancing a camera. I'm one of the few people in the world that don't own a cell phone. So I have a, a, a big old school camera that I have to balance by myself like when I'm, I'm taking these photographs. It's very hard for me to operate a camera and take photographs of myself or, or, or take videos and get good angles and shit. I'm a good artist that tries to make these things accessible to other people, but I feel very held back by the fact that I don't have the money to hire a camera person or I don't have somebody that's readily available to help me with these things. I'm kind of getting sick of that. <laughs> I want to work with other artists and I want to get back into photography. Like I do a lot of conceptual modeling and stuff for weird, weird photos I miss that. I love uh, working with a photographer and being exposed and having someone to direct me and, and share in a vision. And I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Like, mm -hmm. I miss that. <laughs> I miss that so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's Everything feels second rate right now. Mm. You know, mm. it's like there's stuff that gets close to being, like, aspects of the, the greater thing that is worth doing, but nothing. I, I find I've been, like, somewhere between what you guys are saying, like... I found this whole time to be extremely fulfilling. There's been a lot of shit that's like I would never have been able to do if it weren't for having a mandatory year off from the only things that I love to do. Yeah. yeah. But I also like and those things have been worth it, but I also have been noticing that like nothing genuinely makes me happy except for that one thing that I've been wanting to do since I was 5. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all that there has ever been for me and that's all I know. That's how I know how to socialize. That's how I know how to spend money that's how i know how to just go out like that's what i do in this world and everything else i do it's like it can be cool as hell but like it just 
Like last night I was looking up how to scuba dive. I've never had that thought before. That's not the thought of a happy man. You know, that's it's scary. That's I'm the not thought doing of that somebody ever. who's grabbing at whatever. <laughs> I was like, how much would it cost to just learn how to scuba dive like right now? Like soon. <laughs> and I genuinely want to do it, but I'm like, I don't give a shit about that. Yeah. I won't give a shit about yeah. that once I can play gigs again. That's a you make a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about this. It's really it's pretty easy for me to be having a good time. So like when you first said happy, I was like, what are you talking about? Like you can be happy doing tons of stuff. But mm -hmm. that's like I've spent a year now figuring out what I can do in the absence of normal life in order to have fun. But mm -hmm. that's different from being happy. And I'm yeah, just realizing in this moment that I have taken a year <laughs> off from self-actualization. That's kind of weird. <laughs> and not in every way, of course, but like in in terms of my representation of my artistic self, definitely. Oh, that's difficult. And you know me, I'm a very free person and I find joy in a lot of very simple things. Yeah. The past year has kind of robbed me of that a little bit. Mm. I have such difficulty finding joy in anything these days. Mm. And it's like, I, I'm manic depressive. That's a, a part of me that I know very well and that I accept and I expect. I expect these states of I'm juggling six lemons on a unicycle on a tightrope over a tank full of sharks with no safety net. <laughs> or the world is bleak and there is no meaning in anything. And I have those two speeds and that's pretty much it. I get it. But my main... I've been kind of flatlined where I'm like, everything is joyless. I have no purpose in life. Everything is empty. Kill yourself. And that's what I hear going on in my head constantly because I have no distraction from that. And also the voices in my head are fucking jerks sometimes. And if I don't use things to stimulate them, they come back and they come back with a vengeance and they fucking rip you apart. And that that's part of the mental condition that I suffer from and that I... I can work on, but I can't ever really change. But this has been a really difficult fucking time for me because I've found my outlets and that's through performance. Yeah. That's what makes me feel like a normal person. That's what makes those fucking awful voices in my fucking head go away when I can get together with friends and I can, I can talk about it or I can vent with Rainy when I have a couple of uh, drinks with her. I could say, this is going on with me and it, it, it sucks and... We can go scream in a basement for an hour. That makes me yeah. feel okay, and that makes it better. But I haven't had yeah. those outlets, so I'm trying to come to terms with that. No, I feel similar. That's that's the thing I loved about doing specifically like band gigs mm -hmm. was the feeling of like it's communal and everything, and there's a it's lot of love. But when it comes to like the trauma, like all the bad shit that's trying yeah. to come up at any given moment. It's no longer a fucking negotiation. Because like, you let it out in those moments. I'm nuking it. In yeah, that like, in a healthy way that's good for you. Yeah, I need it. And it's like right now I, I have ways of like, you know, managing it and mitigating it and all that kind of stuff. And it gets through the day, but like there's nothing like just pulling that pin and hitting that first chord. That is something that it can never fuck with. Some people are just that. They're they're performers. They're they're artists. They want to get out there in front of other people and it doesn't always have to be from a place of ego like look at me. I'm so great. Admire me. Appreciate me. It's just like I want that sense of community. Mm. And I need to feel that and I need to feel validated in the moment and I also just need to get up there and scream in a microphone and I don't give a fuck how many people or who is around. Yeah. 
that's my attitude about it. I think that's our that's a healthy outlet for all of us and for yeah. all of that to kind of been stifled in the past year. People will look at you and be like, find you know healthy ways to deal with that. We found that already, but it yeah. was kind of robbed of, from us a little bit. So we're resentful. Yeah. Well, let's not end just yet because I have a question about community and roles and like how do you kind of assert yourself as the fool within your community? It seems to be a title that fits you. It also seems to be a title that you've taken. You yeah, know what I mean? I think there's a level of assertiveness there, but there's a, a, a level of acceptance and admittance to play that role, you know, to be the the protagonist. Yeah, yeah. You have to be the person that everybody is sort of afraid to be. And that's a very demanding fucking role to take on. Yeah. That comes from a lot of trauma very early on in my life. Uh, my dad eventually got custody of me, but I was in the foster system and stuff. And, you know, my dad was severely mentally ill. Uh, we had a lot of issues with poverty and drug addiction and things like that. And there were a lot of people in my family that that really felt that. There were a lot of hard times for us. So since I was a little thing, I'd have my pigtails in because I have trick. So I have pigtails because I have trick and I rip my hair out. I have my little pigtails in and I'd put on like some adult shoes that were way too big. And I would come up with these with these dance routines and these little theatrical sort of escapades, the the sort the Harlequinade theater in itself. And whenever anybody around me was experiencing a really hard time, was, you know, your mom's just went to jail, somebody showed up and beat the fuck out of you. You had to revive your your sibling from an overdose. Uh, the cops showed up at your house and stole all your shit. Things like that. They were they were hard on us, you know. I had to adapt, and I had to. I felt like I had to be that person that would put on the clown nose and the big shoes and the pigtails and dance around for everybody and and make a big scene because it allowed people to feel some release from the situation. It allowed people to take a step back and and laugh and feel okay in that moment. And that is something that is that is so important to me. And that's an aspect of performance too that I need because a lot of the people that I performed for back in the day, they don't exist anymore. They're dead. They're in jail. You know, they're in a fucking coma that's irreversible or whatever. I still need to be that fool, that clown, that role that I prescribed myself from so early on because I realized that this is a calling in my life, and this is something that I have to do for other people. And it can be really, really hard on me because you have to shove your own shit down and make those sacrifices to better other people's lives. And just you, you shut up and you dance. Mm. So where, I mean, have you found a definitive balance between the two? Like where it sounds like you're saying that sometimes your self-care can suffer from this. Absolutely. And there you spend your life seeking a balance, but most people are never really going to attain the balance. It's about seeking the balance, not attaining it. It's being aware that you need it and acknowledging that you have to work on that and 
keep trying and keep progressing. It's like the idea of the fool, the beginning and the end. You, you, you end the same way that you started out, which is basically like you know nothing. Yeah. And that's something that Matt and I talk about all the time. It's like the forsaking of any notion of a destination is yeah. probably one of the healthiest things that you can do. Yeah. If you're not always actively seeking a conclusion to the journey, then you can just enjoy the journey. Life's not about the destination. It's about the journey, man. Yeah. I quoted dazed and confused. Great, Ben. I'm sorry. Put <laughs> that on some home goods wall art. George Washington was in the aliens, man. <laughs> I would really love to watch that movie again. <laughs> I like what you just said, though, about like knowing that you need the self-care and knowing that you need the balance, but you don't always have to know that you've found it. And I think that's something that like I was trying to describe to my therapist recently and I couldn't quite put it into words because she was asking like, how's your self-care doing? And I'm like, it's suffering, but it's always suffering because (laughs) I've never stopped fucking moving. (laughs) But I was trying to explain, you know, like I know the things that I need to get done and I know the things that like I need to do in order not to wallow. But do you wallow, Matt? (laughs) <laughs> uh, not as much as I used to. That's good. I wish I could. It was comforting to wallow. It felt like it fucking meant something and it would go somewhere. But now I just, it's too boring and it's too tiring and pisses me off. And maybe that is wallowing though. In its own <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know. So yeah, I guess. I wouldn't count that out. <laughs> I meant, do you, do you suffer from any kind of like mental illness or role of the playing the fool or whatever that you feel like you need reflecting on self-care, anything that you feel like you need to talk about or want to. I don't know. I've always just had the, I mean, nothing I really need to like get off my chest in that way, but just in a, like I relate to those kinds of topics in the, like the never having fit in anywhere way. Like I've always related any mental illness that I've had throughout my life as being to illness the way like food poisoning would be to illness. You know, it's like you're sick, but you're not like, like I don't, I've never felt like I had a thing, you know, I've just been yeah. fucked up at certain points in my life. And Happens so I've found a lot of, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's never felt like wrong. It's just, you know, it's felt like whatever happens under given circumstances. And yeah. I found a great value in, in trying to like, I don't know, trying to express it creatively or trying to like trying to just screw around. Like I've always enjoyed, I'm not as like packed with levity as a lot of people are, but like, I think that's just one of the best things to do with life because it is, it is truly about the journey. It sucks that that's so much of a cliche, but it, it is kind of true. It's, I think we've said it before that like, it's always, it just feels presumptuous to think that there's a destination that we can know about. So we have an episode on toxic positivity coming out. Oh God, I can talk so much about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a fun one. I feel like we got heated a little This is uh, one of the things that kind of was coming up for us is that we both have, you know, histories of depression, but also histories of, well, even at our most depressed, there's something that's going to make us laugh. And there's something Mm. that's going to not necessarily change our mood, but like levity is a very good medicine. God, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I just miss performing. I, I miss being that fool. Even if it's just for one person, like I, I need that. Huh? But there's like a value in what you were saying about like doing pranks kind of from afar, you know, like I think that mm-hmm. that counts just as much, if not more, to do stuff like that right now, because this is when people yeah. 
freaking need it, you know, like to just wake up and see that something has descended upon your house is like, God, that would yeah. warm someone's heart, you know? Or piss them off in the moment. Um, well. <laughs> all too familiar with people getting mad about my pranks. But later they're like, oh, I know it's just because you care. You're my chum or whatever. But um, somebody asked me about that, actually. They were like, you're never around to see people's reactions after you prank them. Don't you want to? <laughs> isn't that something that you really want out of it? You want to see fleeing. how they react? It's called but fleeing. You're never there. Yeah, it is called fleeing. <laughs> I am leaving the scene of the crime. Yeah. But no, I, I leave and I am driving in my car or whatever after doing those pranks or, you know, driving shotgun in someone else's car because I don't have one at the time and I... I want accomplices, but I don't have to see it for it to bring me joy. You know, it's mm. that if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? Of course it makes a sound. It, it has an impact. And to think that it doesn't is really fucking kind of self-centered, mm. you know, but I like just knowing that I made a, a difference in someone's day. Mm. Uh, I like that. I don't. I don't have to be there to bear witness to it. I'm laughing my ass off as I'm doing it, and as I'm driving away from the scene of the crime, like that's enough for me. The 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 phone call later in the day, like what the fuck did you do to my house? <laughs> this fucking evil clown bitch came up in here and all my shit. Like I love that. It's great. That's fine. So I guess we should ask you what you've got going on in the art world right now. Um, I've been in a few galleries since pandemic started. I've been doing some stuff in Worcester. I've had uh, a, a few pieces up in Arts Worcester and Aurora and other various places. But yeah, I, I'm working on a ton of art right now, including my Terra series where I'm doing, I'm the, the model for these things and I'm merging together the classic and modern aspects of modernism and industrialism with these sort of old images with these cards. And I'm, I'm creating a whole new tarot deck inspired by uh, different cultures, traditions within the material aspect of that. Um, I'm working on a ton of paintings. I have one coming up at Arts Worcester. I think it's on view in that gallery is on view in April. Okay. And that's my latest gallery that I'm in right now. They asked me for the title of my piece, and I had to write back, it's a symbol, and I can't type it because <laughs> I am an eccentric artist, and I have to be extremely fucking difficult about everything. What's the symbol? <laughs> um, It is a circle with a cross in the middle, okay. which unites masculine, feminine, solar, lunar things. I won't ramble about that. Um, What else? The new Sapling EP is going to come out soon. Okay. The Apocalypse musical, which is just a bunch of random shit in basement recordings that we're doing right now for the fuck of it, because why not? The reason that your voice is so hoarse. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, we wrote a, I wrote a pop song about uh, wanting to be a peach farmer. And I, I wrote it in the perspective of a bunch of people. I'm a full-time artist. That's what I do for my job. And a lot of people would be like, when are you going to get a real job or whatever? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. 
and I just get really mad about it. So it's my way to release from that. But I wrote it from a very utilitarian perspective. Like these are the utilitarian jobs and this is what you need to do. And this is what you want a job for. The choruses are just all screaming. Uh I didn't write any actual choruses. It's just the three of us screaming in a room together. And that's the chorus. (laughs) I love the fact that we have no functional choruses ever, really. (laughs) I step on a pedal and scream. And that's fine for me. That's music, sure. Uh, But I look forward to the release of the Apocalypse musical, however poorly it's recorded sometimes or however wacky it is. I'm happy with the way some things turned out. Yeah. Uh, So besides the art gallery and the musical and the tarot things and... uh, that's a mouthful. That's still a lot. I have a lot going on, even in my slow times. Yeah. I feel stagnant as fuck right now. (laughs) I need to do more. I'm also releasing a really, really, like I'm not promoting it at all. I'm not doing anything. I'm just throwing things out there on YouTube here and there. I'm releasing a little EP called It Won't Flush. And it's a bunch of really sad songs. They're mostly all acoustic, looped, and other instrumentals over them because I'm by myself and I can't do fuck much else right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's all these songs that have kind of been floating around that I've never used for anything, but I just can't like quite shake them. Mm. So I'm shittily recording them by myself with no pop filter. So you hear like, and a lot. And Uh and then I'm a sad Pez clown eating coffee out of a can. Like it's weird. It's weird shit. Um, All sad music, which is not anything anybody would expect from me ever but i'm doing it but other than that i don't have much else going on (laughs) (laughs) all right well since you're a professional artist where can people find you um you can find sapling band on youtube and instagram and on linkedin and you can find us on facebook you like my radio voice i do i love it (laughs) why haven't we been doing that the whole time um (laughs) You can find my social media accounts and Patreon on WTF Now Amber. Easy listening. Um, <laughs> I, I teach art lessons on Patreon and I do all kinds of other shit. And I don't know, just go see what I'm up to. And if you want to buy a painting every now and then, like, stay in touch with me and you'll see what's going on. If I don't know you on one of the social media platforms or we don't have mutual friends and you want to, you know, be friends on it, that that's fine. I'm I'm not like, ooh, you're weird. I don't know you. I'm not because I'm an artist. That's what I have to do for my career, unfortunately. Yeah. I have to fucking be on social media. But uh, you can go view my art in, uh, up at Arts Worcester, which is right up by the Worcester Public Library. Uh, it's a great little spot, and the people that run it are very nice, and there are some good artists that work out of that place. So go view some art in person, because art online is not the same thing. Mm. It's not as good. You can't yeah. experience a painting through a photo the same way you can live, and I cannot stress that enough. Well, this was a lot of fun. Matt, anything to add? No, I don't think so. Think what do you have everything. going on in your life? Where can the people find you? I don't have really uh, a lot of pluggables going on. I'm doing this. This is like my main public thing. I don't know. I'm going to do a single, though, in the spring. Oh, that's fun. All that right. Happen. That's good. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah, so it's. I think it'll be a sad one. 
Okay, okay. Because I'm out of happy ones. You're so. out of happy songs. We all? I literally am. I was like trying to just do full band versions of other songs. Cause it's just fun to like mix them. And I ran out of happy ones. I had three. Two, wait. Yeah, two. They're done. So we're back to the old standbys. Uh, Matt and I are doing a song together. So yeah. We're uh, reviving an old uh, demo of mine. And uh, it's going to be pretty simple, straightforward, like kind of grungy pop song. I'm going to do a fucking wah solo on it, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> Call me if you need any therapy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we should wrap this up, um, but we'll make sure that we post links to all of your social media stuff and all of your art stuff okay. when, uh, when this goes online, which will be April 1st. Happy pranking, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get some of you listening to this right now. <laughs> One of you is going to have 50 plastic flamingos in your front yard. And if you listen to this, you would know about it, but you know, you don't listen to the podcast. So you're not pre-warned. That just goes to show you, you should be listening to the fucking podcast. Yeah, you won't be on your guard if you don't listen oh. to this. <laughs> you should splice that onto the end of... Any other episode we've done. <laughs> you won't be on your guard if you don't listen. <laughs> and that's our show. Thank you to our guest, Amber Tortorelli. You can find a lot more from her at WTF Now Amber on Instagram and YouTube. And to keep up with her band, you can follow Sapling on Facebook, Instagram, or Bandcamp. We'll make sure to post all these links in the show notes. We'll be back in two weeks when singer-songwriter Brian Dickens joins us for an episode about cross-discipline and the many ways that our skills, crafts, and hobbies can intersect with one another. As always, Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production. For more on what's coming up, you can find us on Facebook or on deadandmellow.com, and you can follow Dead and Mellow Records on all social media platforms. We'll see you soon. <laughs>